The following is a recorded sermon delivered by Elder Steve Jackson featuring Brother Steve Woods on Sunday, November 29th, 2020, Fort Smith Primitive Baptist Church, 2201 South Houston Street, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Good to see each one of you this morning and happy that you're here, happy that I'm here and Pray the Lord's blessing with His presence, His Spirit. We certainly are not capable of entering in to the divine service of worship without His Spirit. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, Second Peter, the first chapter, is where I expect to be this morning. I trust I'll go where the Spirit leads if I'm not in the right place beginning here. Um, can't tell you how much I love your pastor here at Fort Smith. Appreciate what you said about being thankful to hear his voice. Appreciate your honesty and your service Brother Steve, I appreciate very much that honest and sincere prayer that we heard from <clears throat> Brother John. Confession is good for the soul. I was praying right along with you, Brother John. The same thing. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. Seems like servant comes first. It's more important to him. Being a servant is something Peter chose to do. Being an apostle is something Jesus Christ chose him to be. To them, he's a servant to them that have obtained. Those who have not obtained like precious faith have no interest in Brother Peter's words, have no interest in Brother Peter's preaching or mine or yours. To those who have obtained like precious faith, if everyone who's confused about 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 would just go back and read the first verse and find out who he's talking to, that would help them understand that in a much better way. But I want you to notice, I'm, I'm going to read these four verses because it is one sentence. And Brother Peter closes this letter with the same thought that he begins it with, but just in less detail. But he closes this letter, if you'll remember, praying that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, old brother Solomon back in the old Bible said that knowledge is power. And there's, to a great extent, it is. Uh, I mean, regardless of how much knowledge we might have, we'll never have the power that the Almighty God has. But to the extent that we have knowledge, we can have power over certain things, authority over certain things. So he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, that's a remarkable opening salvo. It's just, and so, you know, he opens his first, man can't write like that. If you ever wondered about the inspiration of scripture, there you have it. Men just can't write like that. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow never put anything down as sweet as that. I've loved reading a lot of the classics, but men just can't write like the Holy Ghost writes 
A man pushing a pencil with the Holy Ghost pushing him is just going to write a whole lot better, a whole lot sweeter, and say a whole lot more in a whole lot fewer words. And if you begin to think about what he says with his words here, and, and if you try to grasp the theme of this first sentence, did you notice three times he uses the word knowledge? And, and I don't speak to you of knowledge that you get from books. That's not the knowledge under consideration. This is not the knowledge of reading and reading and reading over and over and over. This is the knowing of Him. To know Him is eternal life. That's what Jesus prayed there in John 17 in that high priestly prayer. And, and Paul would write that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. The knowing of Him is the most important thing ever. It doesn't make any difference what Jesus did on the cross if you don't know Him. If you never come to know Jesus Christ, it matters not what He did because He didn't do it for you. And if, he know, if you know Him and He knows you, it makes all the difference in the world. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. You've been absolved from all of your sin. You've been made righteous in the view of God Almighty our Father. You've been made precious in His sight. You've been made holy. You've been made righteous. You have been made anew. In the 11th chapter, I believe, of Ezekiel, he writes about how that God takes a stony heart out of us and He gives us a soft and a tender. He calls it a fleshy heart. But he's not talking about flesh in the sense of he gives you a... <laughs> it's not like he takes out a, a stone blood pumping organ and puts in a, a fleshy blood pumping organ. No, he's talking about your seat of affection. He's talking about giving you a new being. A new nature, specifically. Biblically speaking, it's that... Like he, he says, like Peter says here, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. By these what? By these great, exceeding great, and precious promises. What promises? Well, I'll tell you first of all, I am like Paul in this sense. I am in hope of eternal life. which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. I didn't get my eternal life by diligently seeking to know God. I got my eternal life by a promise. He made a promise. He made an eternal covenant. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost before the dirt was separated from the water on planet Earth. Before the worlds were made. He loved me and He made a promise, a covenant with the Son and with the Holy Ghost that someday He would know me and I would know Him. You know, a lot of people think, oh, God knows everybody. Well, there's a sense in which He does know, have a general knowledge of everyone, but He doesn't know everyone. I'll prove it to you in Matthew 5, 23. Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He's standing there talking to them. He's looking at them face to face and he says, I never knew you. He's not talking about general knowledge. He's talking about a personal, intimate love. The kind of love that he had for you and I trust for me before the world began. And it cannot go away. It's this knowledge. But, but not only that. The other kind of knowledge is important. And that will be shown clearly in the following verses where I do not intend to go. But as he begins to talk about this knowledge of him, he begins to talk about how it can be multiplied. You know, he, he tells us, he, he bids this blessing in the opening text. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How is the grace and peace multiplied? How can you multiply the grace that saves us from our sins? How can you multiply the peace that comes when God has reconciled us to Him by the death of His Son? 
You multiply it by adding to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, etc. As he goes on in those following verses. But grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, through getting to know Him better, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, in harmony with or according as His divine power hath given unto us all things. I do not have a Martin D35. I'd kind of like to have one. I got a good guitar. I got no complaints with my guitar, but all things doesn't mean all things. If, if all things meant all things, I'd have a Martin D35 in my living room right now. But I don't. I've got a nice Alvarez guitar. I'm not unhappy. But I don't have all things. I don't have a, a A-Bolt 308. Always kind of wanted one. I bought a Ruger 30-06 that I've never been satisfied with. I could have paid about $100 more and got what I wanted. One of the, I've been punishing myself for that mistake ever since by denying myself the one that I really wanted to kind of help me remember to learn a lesson. Sometimes you just need to spend a little bit more and get what you want and be satisfied. Well, compare that to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you satisfied? You got enough grace and peace already or would you like to have it multiplied? I want to know Jesus a little better. I want to know the Father a little better. I want to know the Holy Spirit a little better. In fact, I want to express myself a little better. I want to know Jesus a lot better. I want to know the Father a whole lot better. I want to know the Holy Ghost a whole lot better. Amen. How do you grow in that? You draw near to Him and He will draw nigh unto you. Isn't that what it says? How much time do I spend drawing near to Him and how much time do I spend in folly, in useless? There's nothing wrong with playing chess on your computer. But there's nothing about playing chess on your computer that will draw you closer to God. I mean, it's not a sin to play chess on the computer, is it? But it's not of much benefit either. It just won't draw you any closer to God. Let's look at a couple more expressions in here and I'm going to sit down. I want to hear Brother Steve. I had not heard Brother Steve preach in a long time. And I want to know Brother Steve better. I, I wish we spent more time together. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Oh, that's why Martin D35s are not included in the all things. It's everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us all these things through the knowledge of Him. Which Him? Him that hath called us. Do you know that there's more to the calling than just being translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son? He does that in the new birth. But He not only calls us to glory, He calls us to virtue. Virtue is something that He gives us the ability to do, but we've got to exercise our lives unto godliness in order to attain virtue. In order to us... You know, Solomon writes about a virtuous woman. And it's a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. I think it's the 30th chapter of Proverbs. It's very close to the end, and there's only 31, but I don't think it's the last, but it could be. But what is it that makes this woman virtuous? It's her conduct. It's what she does with who she is. God made her a special person. But it's what she does with that that makes her virtuous. She's added to her faith virtue. She's added not through laziness, not through gossiping, not through wishful thinking, not through satisfaction of the flesh, 
but through righteous deeds. And it's not just that for women. It's the same thing for men and for young people, for children. You know, you don't have to be an adult to be virtuous. I've got a niece, her name is Ava, and she doesn't have a knowledge of Scripture like all of you have. She does not understand how it was that she was saved. She thinks that she was saved because she has been taught by loving parents that she was saved by repenting of her sins and asking Jesus to come into her heart and getting baptized. She believes what she's been taught. And there's no sin in that. But I, I would love, I, I aspire to the level of conduct that my, what, 12-year-old niece has? I think Ava's 12. She's a wonderful young lady. Ain't no man on planet Earth ever going to be good enough for my niece Ava. She'll marry some guy someday, but he'll be marrying up, Brother Steve. He'll be marrying up. He'll be like me. He'll be marrying up when he does. Because she's a wonderful, godly young lady. whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You know, one of the promises that we need to hold on to is where you are today. You're sitting in church. It's just a wonderful blessing to be with like-minded individuals who have obtained like precious faith. I don't mean to compare it to the wonderful glory of the first promise that I mentioned of eternal life but Jesus did say that I have come that you might have life and and that means in addition to he's not talking about the same thing when he says that you might have life and he's talking about something else he's talking about that that life might be a more abundant life and I will look at just one, one verse in the next portion where Peter writes. He says in verse 8, after he's talked about adding to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance faith patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly love and to brotherly love kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and what? Abound. If these things be in you and abound, then you will live the abundant life. If that's what you want today, then you've been shown a recipe. There's nothing that we can do to know Him. But once we know Him, there's much we can do to know Him better. There's nothing that we can do to have an abundant life. But there is much that we can do I mean, there's nothing we can do to have life eternal, but there's much that we can do to have an abundant life. Amen. And he, he describes those things in generalities here, and it's up to us to take them and apply them specifically to points and places in our lives. I hope these things have been of some benefit to you. There's much more that could be said. I'm going to let brother see It didn't take near enough time. We appreciate the things Brother Woods has brought to our attention. Appreciate you and appreciate the Lord's presence and His validation of the truth and His goodness that uh, He has shown to us. I share with you this morning uh, my greatest weakness and downfall in my perception of myself. And I'm sure in my conduct, in the way that I conduct myself.
elections are won and lost as a result of these. Relationships are maintained or destroyed by these. Love affairs are kindled by these, nurtured by these. The world was spoken into existence by these. And our dead benighted souls were told to live by these. We know what that is. I think we've all have, have answered that question in our minds. James, in uh, chapter 3, you know, he was speaking to some of his brethren, the Jewish brethren that were suffering persecution, kind of like Peter was speaking to those that were scattered. You know, they were scattered. It was a scattered audience that James had as well. There was uh, persecution. The Lord, his people, have suffered for defending the truth and for believing in a resurrected Savior ever since he was resurrected from the dead. It'll be no different for us. In some respects, we suffer for believing in our resurrected Savior and everything attached to the victory. Everything that was essential in the victory. God's people have suffered for that generations and generations and generations. We should never suffer because of inflictions or afflictions. That we levy against ourselves. All of the forces of Satan have been unleashed and will continue to be unleashed against the bride of Christ as long as she stands. We witnessed just a splinter of that. We witnessed it <clears throat> as the fourth division of government was used as an instrument to unleash all manner of evil and nothing short of just vile evil in an assault against what our forefathers have shed their blood for. We've witnessed it with our own eyes. Amen. We were sickened by it, nauseated by it. We were, our minds were blown by it. Every bit of that and more has been levied against the bride of Christ, the New Testament <coughs> church. Satan <coughs> desires to sift her like wheat. We're troubled on every side. Cast down, as Paul said, but not in despair. He was speaking there of his personal experience as an apostle 
and also, I'm sure, those in his circle, the ministerial circle, the pastors, the others that were instrumental in the Constitution furtherance of the New Testament church in the first century. Sawn asunder, as he says in Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Such persecution. Why is it, my brethren, that with all of the forces that are working against the New Testament church and the bride of Christ, would we ever for one moment allow a word to leave our lips that would inflict harm on her from within. Why? We know why. It's because of the nature that we have in Adam. It's this sinful nature, this flesh that desires to discharge that role that Satan himself told Eve in the garden shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I wrote a little phrase can't remember if I wrote it in my phone or if I wrote it on a piece of paper or what. And that, was, that is this. I would sleep a lot better if I would just learn to keep my mouth shut. And that's the truth. You know what I lay awake over more than anything else? My words. What I've said the impact that it might have on an individual, whether or not my words will be repeated, what kind of echo chamber they will, they will create, you know, the reverberation of those words. Yeah. And then it all circles and boils back around pride and ego and bruised ego. And what does it mean to my ego? Am I going to look weak? Am I going to look, you know, is this going to put me in a compromising situation? Is my reputation going to be tarnished by this? You know, my name. How will the brethren think of me? What will they think? You know, there are times, and I ask the question, you know, and, 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 it, and it, is a, it is a great fear of, of, of losing fellowship with the church. Words can cause us to lose fellowship with the church. <clears throat> so, we're here in James chapter 3. This, this is what I came with before we came and walked in the door this morning. And the portion of this that we want to lift out is... Uh, very insightful, very instructive in terms of our view of wisdom. If you're like me, you've spent quite a bit of time considering wisdom as disclosed in the Proverbs and how the Lord Jesus Christ depicts wisdom. He is wisdom. That's right. He is wisdom. He is wisdom. James deals with that in his discourse to his brethren, opening his discourse concerning wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, to ask God, and he'll give you wisdom. But what is that wisdom? Have you ever wondered specifically what that wisdom is? What is that? And that's, you know, that's where I was feeling around in the dark until Elder Mike Hughes opened it up with his little text that he sent about a week ago. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I'm sitting here in James chapter 3. But there's a whole lot that 
leads up to this definition of wisdom. And that's where I, I guess I'm hung. So I'm going to read. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. <laughs> For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. We've read this. This is so plain, right? You, you've experienced this. You've read this. And oh, isn't it a wonderful thing when we're able to control this member of our body that is so destructive? Doesn't it feel uh, satisfying when we're able to withhold the words and keep them from escaping our mouths, which could ignite a forest fire? Not literal, but things burn down because of words. Amen. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Right. I will always be afraid of beasts. I will always be afraid of horses. They're beasts. Properly described as beasts in God's Word. They... <laughs> are not like a motorcycle, Brother David. They don't have brakes. They don't have an accelerator. They have a mind of their own. The motorcycle obeys you. The beast does not necessarily obey you at all times. I'll never forget the time, you know, Jill was so excited about being around horses and just absolutely loved and adored them. And we went down to... Uh, Dutch Creek to Snooky's place. He had a pasture full of the most beautiful animals you've ever seen. These horses, and but the problem was they hadn't been ridden very much, and uh, so he was able to get a saddle on the one he picked out. He knew was a little safer for Jill, who's just a little, you know, maybe ten or eleven years old. Well, it was my role to pick her up and put her on this horse. And I think I was on the wrong side or something. You've got to be on the right side if you're going to deal with horses, I understand. You can't be on the wrong side. And I think I was on the wrong side. And basically, when I was picking her up, I saw that hinder foot, hindermost foot, coming right at me. And I've heard a horses kicking forward, uh, backwards, but he was kicking forward. I mean, he was coming right at me. So I just threw her <laughs> onto the horse, and thankfully she landed up there. All the years of basketball paid off, right? She landed in the saddle, and I got out of there as quickly as possible. So I just can't get along with horses. But the thing that obviously steers a horse is the bridle they put in the mouth, and it has something to do with bridling the tongue. It has something to do with this thing laying on their tongue. The, obviously, if I had something laying on my tongue, I believe I might be a little conscious of it as well. I might turn my head and my body if somebody had a hold of my tongue. Lord knows I've spent enough time with my mouth open and my tongue being yanked out of my head. <laughs> with uh, the medical practitioners, thank God, examining my throat. And I'll tell you what, you begin to appreciate your tongue. You do appreciate your tongue. Your tongue is involved in all kinds of things, including swallowing. Guess what? When it doesn't work, it goes in the wrong place. It's not very pleasant. I mean, just some of the, some of the little things we take for granted, right? And then the, the tongue and the ability to articulate and speak, all of the things associated with it. Taste. What would it be like to have Thanksgiving and not taste a thing? But I'll tell you, my brethren, uh, this little member in our mouth that we never think about, it doesn't, you know, it never comes to mind. We might consider how we look, what our hair looks like, you know, whether or not our, you know, our skin, what it's looking like. But we never consider our tongue, do we? Ever. Until something goes wrong with it. 
but they'll put this bit in the horse's mouth and this 2,000 pound creature, his body is controlled by this little thing that is laying on his tongue. The whole body. He says the same about great ships, which though they be great and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Notice, in both cases, you have one in control of what? The reins? And one in control of this turning mechanism on the back of a ship. And guess who's in control of our tongues? We are in control of our tongues. We are in control of our words and our word selection. We are able to exercise as much discipline as we can possibly muster concerning what comes out of our mouth. One of the problems that I have is incomplete sentences and incomplete thoughts. Lisa drives her crazy. You know, we'll, be, we'll be walking through the house and I'll say, can you believe... Is it... What? I don't Can I believe what? <laughs> you know, and so on. And the same is true when we're trying to preach and we're preaching. We may, we may get led off in some other direction and leave leave the congregation hanging over here, and that's where the Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God is absolutely required and necessary to fill in the blanks and to finish the incomplete sentences, and he has done that many a time, and will continue to do that. Why? Because we are incomplete and totally dependent upon him. We are complete, incomplete and dependent upon the Lord. He said, so we've made, we understand the power of the tongue and controlling the tongue, right? That's it, it, pretty plain. It, it, it would be difficult to misunderstand what James is teaching. And obviously there were some things being said and people being injured and things that were going uh, astray by the people who were being persecuted from the outside in the day of James, in the day of Peter. All this torment all of the persecution that's going on, coming at them, being hurled at them, and then all of a sudden they're tearing each other down. You know, brethren, I confess to you, I'm guilty as charged. I am guilty as charged. Even so, he says, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a little matter, a little fire kindleth. You know, I understand that one of the, was it the Paradise Fire in uh, California that just absolutely wiped out tens of thousands of acres and homes and property and animals and lives. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the fire or maybe it was the Creek Fire out there that was started by somebody doing a gender reveal. <laughs> So here's a family doing a gender reveal that has to do with a sparkler or a candle of some sort, and it ignites 25% of the forest in California. Did you know our words can do the same thing? The words that we speak can destroy our families, can destroy our churches, can destroy ourselves. Brethren, we should take heed to the scripture that James is giving. And first and foremost, I should. I am the only one that I can control. My tongue is the only one that I can control. I can't control yours. You can't control mine. But boy, can it ignite a massive, destructive fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on 
fire of hell. I, I felt like I didn't read that just right. It, that didn't sound right coming in my ear, but he's basically speaking about how devastating the tongue can be. It defileth the whole body. Set upon fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What did Paul say about the man in his unregenerate state? The poison of asps is under his lips. Or under his tongue, his lips. You know, what does a poisonous asp do? Eh? It stings and it can kill you. Therewith, bless we with God. Brother James preached on this Wednesday night when he was here as he was speaking on the love of Christ constraineth us. Right? He was preaching on our words and our tongue and the things that we say. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. How many of us have gone to meeting and enjoyed wonderful services, God blessing our hearts, lifting us up, right? And we're singing praises to the finished works of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we even, through an eye of faith, am able to see Him high and lifted up. We may not be able to see His facial expression, but we certainly can see His feet and His hands, can't we? We could still see his feet and his hands. And you know what? Our depiction of his feet and his hands are probably pretty accurate, right? wonder if that has something to do with why he instituted foot washing. You know, are we supposed to be seeing his feet when we wash feet in the service of the Lord, in the communion service? You know? But we're able to look and we're able to see him high and lifted up. And, and then we go to the house and we curse man who's made after the similitude of God. We all do it. There's nobody that's exempt. He includes everybody. We all have this evil member residing within us. And it is imperative, number one, that we recognize it, that we know it, that it is formidable, and that we do everything we can in our power to tame it. Amen. And to bring it in subjection. <laughs> because our whole body is turned about by it. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things... Ought not be so, he says. <clears throat> Doth a fountain send forth the same plate at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, neither a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt and fresh. Who is a wise man? And this is the scripture concerning wisdom now. We're going to get into the scripture that we that we actually uh, we're impressed with. But look at this. But they are directly connected. It is an impossibility for us to express ourselves in a wise way, evoking the wisdom from above, asking God for wisdom when we fail at controlling our words. So we, in one breath, are saying, Lord, I lack wisdom. I pray for wisdom. And, and James, you said you give to every man liberally enough, braideth not. Lord, give me this wisdom. And then if I fail at controlling my words and my tongue, then what does it avail? What have I done? 
It is, it is the, the same as a fountain bearing fresh water and salt water. It is the same as thorns, right? Among the lilies. There's no wisdom that can be had. So the, when we pray for wisdom, we should be praying, God, let me exercise domain and authority over my words. What does the Bible say? It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's in my heart anyway? Well, it's coming out of my mouth. Get ready. It's coming out. If it's welling up in here, it's going to be coming out right here. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, the Lord Jesus says that we're going to give an account for every idle word spoken. How many times have you given an account for idle words spoken? I'll tell you, I have given account way more than I wish to remember. And, you know, it's odd that sometimes you'll say something, right? And you have no idea that it's having the impact that it's having. You might even have good intentions on the words that you're speaking. You might be trying to do the right thing and it completely devastates People crushes them. I don't know, I've been, I've been guilty of crushing people and not even intending to crush them or not intending to do anybody any harm, but I'm saying what I think is right and it's coming out wrong or it's being interpreted the wrong way. I'll tell you, that, that has been one of the one of the things that has been the biggest detriment in my professional career is the inability to, perfect, uh, to uh, express myself in a way that I desire to express myself. You know, people misread you and they take you the wrong way. You know, there's, there is really no recovery in a situation like that. You, even with apologies and with with uh, you know forgiveness seeking, there's still something that's hanging around. It's still there. <clears throat> we get to the wisdom now. He says, "Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom." You know our conversation over there in the Philippian letter is spoken of as a conversation and our walk. Conversation is also expressed as our walk, as, as our conduct, as our behavior. You know, our conversation is not of this world, it's in heaven, by the way. That means our citizenship is actually in heaven. We're just living, as I expressed last week, in this time zone for the moment. But our actual citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because Christ purchased these bodies to live with him there in heaven's pure world. <laughs> but in the meantime, we've got a few things in this time zone we've got to work through and deal with. Notice what he said. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. What? You mean when this stuff is swelling up in my heart, bitter envyings and strife, isn't that kind of when we get puffed up? That's kind of when we get puffed up, isn't it? We feel violated. Or maybe we feel right. And all of a sudden we get a little puffed up, don't we? And what happens when we get puffed up? We're either going to go on the assault or we're going to go on the defensive. One of the two. Right? We're told not to glory in such behavior. What is glorying in that behavior? It's not of the Lord. It's not God's glory. And look what he says next. <laughs> This wisdom 
descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. We must, brethren, differentiate between the wisdom which comes down from above and the wisdom that is earthy, sensual, and devilish, which resides in our flesh, in our pride, and most especially in what we took away from the fall in the garden. You know what we took away from that fall? We took away the ego that is corrupt, that is damaged, and that will always bring about problems in our lives. Oh, it's good to have a healthy self-image, I know. I understand that. We don't need to be walking around, you know, kicking ourselves and being depressed. Why? Because God has given us every reason to be optimistic for the things that lie ahead. Things coming, brethren, are amazing. You know, I've been meeting quite a bit of resistance in the office. When you get old, when you get cancer, you know, you get demoted, by the way. And it's tough, man. I'll tell you what, it hurts the pride. It hurts the ego. It is awful to experience those kind of things. But I'll tell you what, man. Excuse my language there. I don't mean to speak in such, you know, language. Forgive me. And I don't mean to sound like somebody else. Come on, man. I don't mean to sound like that. But I have determined that I'm going to endure it to the best of my ability, God being my helper. And you know what I did? On my third screen, on sitting on my desk, I put a little note in, as big as it can go to fit on the screen. Amazing things ahead. And I don't care what those people do or what they say. I'm convinced that amazing things lie ahead, brethren. And I believe amazing things lie ahead for you and for me. And I'm not jumping out here the prosperity preacher. No, I'm not jumping off the deep end here. No, I'm preaching to you from God's Word. Amazing things await the churches in this area. We have amazing things that lie ahead. I'm telling you, I believe that in our lifetime, we are going to experience good things from above. Even if it's only two or three of us gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's able to fill us with his presence. It may not be a house full of, of people, but I'll tell you what, the Lord has got some amazing things in store for us. My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is not in you. My confidence is in God. And that's where our focus and our affection should be. It should be placed upon Him and we should rest there. And guess what? We learn to, we study, don't we? To live a quiet, to be quiet, right? And we pray to live a quiet and peaceable life. As Paul told Timothy, Lord, just let me be quiet in my little corner and hurt nobody. Lord, just let me sit over here with a smile on my face. Let me experience the joy of this salvation you've blessed us with. Look here a little bit further and we're through. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The two go hand in hand and they cannot be separated, and as long as these things are, are present, you have confusion. And guess what? God's not the author of confusion. That's right. He's not. Nope. We don't want confusion in our churches. We don't want confusion in our lives. We don't want it in our families. No, brethren. We don't want the confusion. <laughs> we don't want any part of that. Besides, there's enough confusion of face outside of the kingdom of God. We don't want to invite that in the house. We don't want that to be a part of our lives. We don't, have to, we don't want to have that destroying our peace. Disturbing our peace. Oh, brethren, I'll tell you what.
The Lord has been so good to us. Verse 17, but the wisdom, notice, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. You know, this goes right hand in hand with the things that Brother Woods has, has brought to our attention in that second, uh, uh, second Peter chapter 1. The virtue, the knowledge, brotherly kindness, temperance, all those things. That's an exhibition of wisdom. That is wisdom on display, is what that is. That is the wisdom which comes down from above. It's first pure, then peaceable. If I'm expressing my wisdom to you and it results in anything other than a peaceable takeaway, then I am sharing with you sensual and devilish wisdom. The wisdom which is from above is peaceful. Amen. Don't you want that? That's what I want. Gentle. Oh, it's gentle. Easy to be entreated. In other words, it's not like two negatives on a battery, you know? It's like, it's not repelling. It's not avoiding. It's not an avoidance. No, it's together. The wisdom which is from above. <laughs> Gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Lord, help me. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I think that one's worthy of reading again. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. What does he say about blessed are the peacemakers? Amen. Something like that. The Lord Jesus said something to that effect. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God, right? Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. We want to have a... We want to, I know we all want to have a reputation. We, will, we all want to have a good name. Besides, it says that, you know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says a good name is better than precious ointment. That's what we're talking about here. You know, there's, a, there's a, this, this new thing that I saw on the t-shirts of professional players, you know, create your legacy. Create your legacy. Well, legacy is important. Legacy is an important thing, you know. A good name is better than precious ointment. That's your legacy. And the day of one's death and the day of one's birth. But brethren, I'll tell you what. We ought to spend our hours, our days, and our energy, and our resources, and everything we have. We should protect what God has blessed us with in the New Testament church. We should do everything in our power, and we should be willing to lay it all down to preserve the peace of Zion. Every single bit of it we should be willing to lay down to preserve the peace of the truth and the church. I'll tell you, brethren, we have a pretty big responsibility, don't we? He says, after all, that the church of the living God is what? It is the pillar and ground of the truth. I marvel at that text because I, when, I, when I visualize that text, I'm a very visual person. I see that pillar shooting all the way up into heaven's pure world. We, my brethren, are tethered and connected to heaven. 
that pillar and ground, obviously, the church of the living God built upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone, right? Amen. That pillar. Man, I just, I don't ever see the top of it. I don't see the end of it. Why? Because it's this church, the churches of God are connected and tethered to heaven. It's incumbent upon us to worship him. Neither in that mountain or this mountain or at Jerusalem, but to worship him in spirit and in truth. I appreciate your very kind attention. I didn't mean to jump and, uh, and impose on you.